Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. And we are continuing on from chapter 14 and it is a little bit of a marathon so I'll try to read as um as fast as possible uh, but we're reading the whole chapter for Samuel chapter 14 and it says one day Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who carried his armor come let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side but he did not tell his father Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migrom the people who were with him were about 600 men including Ahijah the son of Ahitub Ichabod's brother son of Phineas son of Eli the priest of the Lord in Shiloh wearing an ephod and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side the name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Sene the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised it may be that the lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the lord from saving by many or by few and his armor bearer said to him do all that is in your heart do as you wish behold i am with you heart and soul then jonathan said behold we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them if they say to us wait until we come to you then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them but if they say to us if they say come up to us then we will go up for the lord has given them into our hand and this shall be a sign to us so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the philistines and the philistines said look Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, "Come up to us and we will show you a thing." And Jonathan and Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, "Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel." Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor-bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him and that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within as it were half a furl's length in an acre of land and there was a panic in the in the camp in the field and among all the people the ga- the garrison and even the raiders trembled the earth quaked and it became a very great panic 
And the watchman of Saul in, in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, a multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So, so Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priests, the, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him railed and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, and even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Haven. And the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I am avenged of, on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth for the for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines had not, has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and cows and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with blood. So every one of the, of the people brought his ox with him that night, night and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they say, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know... Uh, and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side and I in 
and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people say to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord, God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord, God of Israel, give Urim. But if, it, if this guilt is in your people, Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff was, that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, Go do so to me, God do so to me. And more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people say to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan, so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place." We'll, we're going to stop there. All right. Only so far. Uh, the end is it's a little bit of Saul's reign. But let us just stop there. Dear Lord, we ask you that you, by your grace and by your mercy uh, on us, would you speak to us, O oh God. Would you clearly speak to us, confront us with your word, encourage us and build us up, Lord. Um, tonight through your word in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So there are different types of plants. There are serophytes and there are hydrophytes. I'm not a plant expert at all. But there are plants that are these serophytes are plants that are not highly dependent on water. They still need water, but um, they can go through, they retain la um, large amounts of, of water, like those um, cactus and aloe vera. Um, and, and those, they don't depend too much upon water. But there are plants, the hydrophytes, that uh, are completely dependent on water. They can only grow if they are in a water environment. And the reason why uh, I say this is, the, here are two types of plants with two kinds of dependence on water. Uh, it's, I think they're similar to, to some of you. I, I will describe you as coffee coffee fights um, that are completely dependent on coffee to, <laughs> to continue. Um, but here's what I would like us to consider today. How dependent are you on God? How dependent are you and me on God? And we're going to see this contrast. And I think the author of 1 Samuel is trying to make a contrast here between Jonathan and Saul. And we read this both in the previous chapter and in this chapter. The, the author wants us to see um, one against the other. And so we're going to see a contrast of leadership, a, con a contrast in character, a contrast in faith, and even a contrast 
independence. And so, let us look first to, to Jonathan and see this true dependence that he has. Look at verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of this uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now, let us think of this situation. There is... uh, uh, a bunch of Philistines, a, a large amount of Philistines, and Jonathan grabs his armor bearer and says, let us go there. Um, and he doesn't take a whole, um, a whole army with him, doesn't take a lot of people. In, in the previous chapter, you know, a thousand men were given to him, and he doesn't take a thousand men. He just takes one man, his armor bearer. So is he brave or just plain stupid? What, or what, what is happening here? Is this an irresponsible act in trying to um, have a kind of appear as a martyr or, or heroic? I don't think it's an irresponsible act because look at verse 8 to 10. He says that we're going we're gonna to go there and if they call us, um, we will know uh, if they say wait until we come to you then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them but if they say come up to us then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us so, so they were not with a, plan, a reckless plan to just go and, and uh, into a, a suicide mission uh, within him and his armor bearer. But instead, as, as we look at verse 6, there's a couple of things that I want us to recognize. First is the reference that Jonathan uses of, of this word, the uncircumcised. Now, Jonathan here is not just... He's not doing some kind of trash talk of his enemies. But he's revealing here that he understands that God has a covenant with Israel and not with the Philistines. He understands that the enemies of Israel are the enemies of God and that they are not in covenant with, with God. He, he's saying God is in covenant with us. We are His, His people. If we read the account of David and Goliath, David uses similar words in, in, the, in describing Goliath. So we see that he understands on, he, on whose side he's on. He understands that God has a relationship with, with Israel, and he has this very much in mind. But furthermore, we see uh, an attitude of dependence on God working. A, a commentator says of, of when we speak about when he says it may be that the Lord will work for us is not does not imply a doubt 
it signified simply that the object he aimed at was not in his power, but independent, but dependent upon God. And that he expected success neither from his own strength nor his own merit. See, Jonathan has an attitude of, I'm not able by any means of winning this unless God works. Unless God saves. And, and he believes in the power of God to save. And we can see this in the phrases that he used, by many or by few. He understands completely this salvation, this rescuing, the success of this mission is completely dependent upon God. God needs to help me. And so I want us to notice this attitude of dependence. He's saying God is powerful and He can save even through us. Even through just the two of us. He understood, actually, the victory is not dependent on great numbers. It's dependent upon the hand of God working in us. The hand of God saving us. His attitude is, is one of that of, I am completely dependent on God rather than God needs to help me. There's a, there's a difference in, 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 in attitude on being completely dependent and going ahead and saying, well, God, God must just help me. There's a, a different attitude. Um, but we, we, we see that God sees this um, and in a, in a way, many commentators point, point out that although the text does not say um, that the Spirit rushed into, um, into Jonathan, as in, in, in different other occasions in the Old Testament, it is, I think it would be correct to assume that this endeavor was a God stirring in his heart. It, it wasn't just a, a, just a fling. So we see that God responds. We see in verse 15, 20, and 23, God acts. God saves. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison, and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. This is the hand of God, that all the Philistines, as as Jonathan and his armor bearer take out 20 men and all of a sudden there is panic in the camp of the Philistines. Not just panic, but there is an earthquake. This is the hand of God saving the people of Israel. Again, later on, it is... It is a, Acknowledge. So the Lord saved Israel that day in verse 23, and the battle passed beyond Beth Avens. So we see God intervenes and He saves Israel that day. And it's a reminder to us that 
salvation is of God. God is the one that saves. God is the one that rescues. Salvation is from the Lord. Don't, don't forget that. Jonathan understood that, that God needed to, to save them. But I believe that this text shows us a pattern. In, and the author intends here to show a contrast between Saul and Jonathan. And along, alongside the other biblical accounts is this. God uses people that depend on Him. God uses people that depend on Him. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble and He humbles the proud. So if you want to be used by God, surrender your will to His will. Depend on Him. Humble yourself. I do want to say that God can do whatever He wants. The way that He saves and the way that He operates is not according to human ways. It's not according to what we think and, and, and how we will do things. But God is different than us. We see here that not only did God uh, use Jonathan and his armor bearer to accomplish salvation, but he also provided an earthquake. He provided panic. You see here God saving Israel in, in, in different manners. But it is God acting. God saving. God rescuing the people of, of Israel. So I believe that God sees. He, he, he stirs Jonathan up to do this endeavor. At the same time, Jonathan is dependent and is trusting God for salvation. And God graciously responds and intervenes and saves the people that day. But we look at Saul now, and Saul has what I called a presumptuous dependence. Now, presumptions, if you don't know what that word is like, this weekend a couple of us went hunting. And I must confess that um, I, I, thought it, it, I thought it would be easier than, than what it what it was uh, you know it's like it's a big animal or, or like and and after four fails and and also uh, the the guy who was helping me uh, he probably had cramped on his on his legs because he's holding this tripod thing where you put the rifle and he's waiting for me and I'm like this thing is not going <laughs> And it was presumptuous of me that, to think that, oh, it would be, it would be easy. It's just, you know, it's a, a large animal. Um, Tim say, oh, you must hit him here. But then it faced me. I'm like, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> um, so unlike Jonathan, he's not completely dependent on God, nor does he have a dependent attitude 
but he has what I call the presumptuous dependence. In other words, he assumes and is presumptuous that God will help him according to his actions. It's a different attitude. Let me demonstrate that. Look at verse 18 and 19. So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talk, talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priests, withdraw your hand. Just an aside here, some manuscripts uh, point that it's an effort so um, and the ark wouldn't have been there but nevertheless the point is that he wanted to consult God at this point but he doesn't he doesn't wait. <laughs> he doesn't wait for, for God's response. He starts the process of consulting God and says to the priest, actually, it's fine. Withdraw your hand. He hears all the tumult and he wants to go to action. And so he says, withdraw your hand. And he, he goes on to the battle. So Matthew Henry points out, he was in such haste to fight a fallen enemy that he would not stay to end his devotions, nor hear what answer God would give him. He that believeth will not make such haste, nor reckon any business so urgent as not to allow time to take God with him. So Saul's, Saul knows what he's supposed to do, spiritually speaking, but he falls short. And we see the, he's trying to do kind of like a, a, um, a spiritual thing and, 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 and lead spiritually, but he, he does this um, out of his own... Uh, he's trying to kind of create his own... Um, way of spiritual leadership. And we saw this in, in, in the last chapter that Daniel pointed out as he sacrifices um, not waiting for Samuel. He has a self-centered motive. He, he, want, he wants to do spiritual things, but on his own terms. And the same happens here. And it goes bad. We, we see another example of this is that he makes this foolish vow. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. Now, let's think about it. Fasting sounds like a very spiritual thing, right? Huh? Who wouldn't want to... Who would say no to fasting? But the motives are completely wrong. If you even read his language, he's, he's completely focused on himself. It's like, until oh my en I am avenged on my enemies. Why didn't he fast by himself? He got the whole army to fast. They are, they are going to be fighting. <laughs> it's the wrong day for fasting. They need energy. So it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of he wants to impose this spiritual tone, but he is going not according to what God says, but making his own decisions. 
It reminds me of 1 Timothy 3, 5. Having the appearance of godliness by denying its power. So all the soldiers are tired. He makes his vow. But this is a, a spiritual, a, a, a foolish vow that he makes. And so... Um, a commentator says, Saul showed that even in doing something spiritual like fasting, his focus is on himself, not the Lord. And, and the result of this selfish action, of this, again, presumptuous dependence, that if I do this spiritual thing, God is going to help me. Can you, can you see how he's, he's operating. He's not operating in complete dependence on God. He's, he's trying to, in a way, manipulate for his own sake. This vow makes the so- soldiers eventually to sin. We see this in verse 32. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. They were... The Bible says they were faint, they were hungry, so they they went slaughtered and started eating the the meat with blood. So it's a foolish vow. It made indirectly the soul the the soldiers sin, but worse, it made he put his own son's life at risk. We we read from from verse um, 39. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day. If this guilt is me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people, um, Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast the law between me and my son, Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. So you might be wondering, what is this business of Urim and Thummim? Um, so these were stones that were used by the high priest, and it was genuine um, uh, to discern the will of God. And so they, they had inscription on them of positive and negative, kind of like a yes or no. And they would kind of be in a bag, and then one would be picked, and, and, and this is how they, they consulted for, for God's will. But this, this foolish vow was, um, there was big consequences. It, you know, it, it, it helped, um, it rather helped, sorry, it hindered rather than helped the pursuit of the enemy. It involved Jonathan in an involuntary trespass and it indirectly occasioned the sin of the people. So now, Saul is saying, yeah, I'm going to have to kill you, Jonathan. And yet, 
God again, in a way, he intervenes. Uh, and uh, one of the, the commentators points it in a theocratic fashion. God uses the people, says, no ways, you're not going to touch one, one hair of Jonathan's head. God brought about salvation through him. Jonathan will not die. He was ransomed. That's the word that is used in, in our text. So the, so the author is here pointing out this, remember, this decline in, in leadership. But this decline in, in poor leadership of Saul is not because he was just being a bad leader but there is a spiritual undertone that he is sinning against God. And we saw in, in the previous chapter and again in this chapter, Saul's poor leadership was not a result of personality traits, but of decaying spiritual character. And what we do is often a direct result of our spiritual condition. So Saul might have been Riding on that previous wave when, when God brings about salvation through, through Him. Remember the, a few weeks ago when, when Pastor Charles preached and, and he rallies all the people of, of Israel. And, and he's, he might be thinking, you know, God used me then. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still with Him and He's riding that wave. But the, the question is, how close and how dependent are you on God today? Are you still thinking on the past victories and the past great blessings of God? And it is important for us to look back at times that we were in very much closeness with God. But that has to be a, a memory which you strive for day by day. You can't just rely on that for your spiritual state today. Here we see a nation that had asked for a king instead of submitting to the king. Now this nation is going against him. Think about it. The decree of killing Jonathan, they said, no, you're not going to do that. They are going directly against the king. They are seeing now this king's shortcomings and just the decline of his character. The decline is in his good leadership. And so my question for us tonight is how dependent are you today in this season how dependent are you on God how dependent are you on God you and I were ransomed just as Jonathan was we were saved by Jesus Christ and, and we at some point we say Lord I give my life to you, I put my, my faith and my trust in you. 
for the forgiveness of my sins for an eternity in heaven. But how, how is your faith today? How is your trust? How is your dependence on Him today? Are you, are you trying to do a soul has? Trying to, to kind of be a, a mishmash of, of going ahead and, and doing spiritual things, but, but just expecting presumptuously that God will act in your favor? Or are you having this attitude of Jonathan that says, I'm completely dependent on God? And, and, and make no mistake, this attitude on dependence on God does not freeze you. If you look at Jonathan, both the previous chapter and this chapter, he is the man of action. Saul is the one frozen. Jonathan is, is completely dependent on God's power to act. And he is a man of action. And so, my question to you and me today is, is that how, how is your daily dependence on Him? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you relying on, on just past experiences of closeness with God? Are you running ahead and just expect, you know, God... God will, will help you. And, and I hope that you're understanding that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convey that there is a, a difference in attitude of one that is humble and dependent and acts and yet is, is trusting God and one that is presumptuous, that is self-reliant. May the Lord help us to humble ourselves and depend wholly on God and His rescuing us. Oh Lord, we are truly in need of Your daily intervention, of Your daily deliverance, of, of Your daily rescuing us. Lord, it is so easy for us to um, to become self-reliant, to become uh, self-serving, God. But help us to to truly recognize our shortcomings, Lord. We would rather humble ourselves and, and experience you humbling us through a, a difficult circumstance or, or bringing us low. But Lord, if, if that's what it takes, Lord, would you do that? Would you humble us? Would you make us holy, daily, dependent upon you, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.